The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to a Tuesday night edition of the pod. Got some news that's piled up that we got to get to. And then uh, we'll get to some gamers, some big ones in the playoff race tonight. Let's start with the latest in the Kawhi in action. It looks better in print, I guess. But we're welcome to CrowdSource here. If you have a, a better name for all this Kawhi Leonard drama and he's playing and he's not playing thing. Uh, but the latest in that is he had been reported to be targeting Thursday against the Pelicans, a, a big game, by the way, for the Spurs to return. Sham Sharania and Ramona Shelburne have both reported that Kawhi not quite feeling up to playing yet, although he is feeling much better. And so he will attempt to return this season, but no timetable still exists. And Danny, I mean, uh, are you still sticking to your like, I'm not discussing this until he comes back policy? Yes. <laughs> well, great to have you on the show. Uh, but uh, I do of a few thoughts and one is basically you would think that the way this would be working is okay if he feels like he's a hundred percent or close enough to it where he feels comfortable coming back then they wait maybe a week or so and as he ramps up his workouts if he's still feeling good then they bring him back and so what this means to me is all right he's still not feeling a hundred percent or to the point where he feels like he could come back or maybe he tried to really ramp things up and had some pain or soreness so this to, to me really all right he's not coming back thursday but then if he's not feeling good enough now is it going to be another week then i mean before he can come back it's really starting to question exactly how much he can contribute and with the spurs having lost three straight and now sitting out of the playoff picture and really without any prospects in my opinion of playing better unless Kawhi returns i think that the spurs uh could end up missing the playoffs unless something really changes here going forward this part i will talk about because it's not about Kawhi originally it's just what the Spurs are looking at and their schedule is perilous because they have home games against good teams and normally the Spurs have been this dominant force at home that has not been true this year they lost to the Lakers recently they lost to New Orleans recently and so this sequence the New Orleans game was the second game of this homestand Orlando if they're playing on Tuesday night we can assume they're going to win that game then Minnesota Golden State Washington Utah I would say in all of those games off the top of my head with their current construction it would be either a close game where they would be underdogs depending on the opponent there without Kawhi in a form where we think he is a positive player and if they go below 500 in those games it only gets tougher from there for them because they have then they start having road games against good teams so they need to start pulling this quickly because nobody else is giving up any ground at this point yeah and if they do in fact not make it that loss to the late 
Lakers, where they led by 10 with five minutes remaining. That loss to the Warriors, where they were up by eight inside of four minutes remaining, I believe. Uh, they could look back on those as some real rough losses down the stretch here that could have kept them afloat during this period. Meanwhile, Boston, thankfully for them, is in a much less precarious position for the playoffs because they have injury woes themselves. Kyrie Irving, we talked about him already on the 15 and 60, but Woj with further reporting that there's confidence among, don't know who exactly, some solid passive voice there, uh, that Boston Celtics guard Kyrie Irving's left knee soreness is no more than tendonitis and he won't need to miss significant time. He's considered day-to-day, but the Celtics uh, also suffering another couple of significant injuries in addition to Jalen Braun, who remains in the concussion protocol. The first one of these, I think, will fall under the radar because of what followed it with Marcus Smart, but Daniel Tice has been an important part of their rotation. He suffered a torn meniscus and he's out for the rest of the year. So that you can just write him off. He had been important, though you could argue that adding Greg Monroe makes that loss less damaging for them. But having somebody who could space the floor and, you know, be good enough at the five defensively was important to them. Yeah, and he'd been playing over Monroe. And for Tice, he is non-guaranteed for next year at the minimum before he'll become a restricted free agent. You imagine that they would keep him around. Great production from him to have a a playable rotation guy at the minimum. But I do think they are going to miss him because he had a little bit more mobility than Monroe. And those are some of the teams that they are playing. They are going to need that. And then Marcus Smart, unclear exactly what the story is with him. He suffered a torn tendon in his right thumb. He's out indefinitely. He's going to get some second opinions. If, in fact, surgery is required there, and maybe surgery will eventually be required, but he's going to try and play on it. I mean, you kind of need your right thumb. You know, opposable thumbs are kind of the basis of all that we do as a a human species. So you wonder whether he's going to be able to play, and certainly his already limited shooting ability and offensive effectiveness could be an issue, as well as just his willingness to stick his hand in there going for steals, which is also a big part of of how good he's been. And for Smart, well, it also I mean, is his I, handle. Talked, yeah. I mean, that's something that I always yeah. think about yeah. is, you know, he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much now that with when Rozier and Kyrie Irving are healthy. Of course, we don't know how long Kyrie Irving's going to be out, but that can linger too. And with this injury and Kyrie's at this point in the Celtics season, I've heard some people say that, oh, this is the worst possible time for Celtics, Celtics to have injuries. No, a month from now is the worst possible time for the Celtics to have injuries. If they can use this month to be extremely cautious, they're not going to lose the two seed they're probably not going to move up to the one line anyway so just be patient do what you can to get your guys right for when it actually matters yeah and, and smart i mean if it, i would put him maybe at the absolute top of my list in terms of who i would want defending the best two guards in the league one-on-one with his quickness strength and intensity and, and those quick hands and so if he can't return it would be a blow for them to be sure especially with some of their other depth on the wing compromise and it's amazing you know we, we talked about how the Celtics had wings coming out their ears at the start of the year while Hayward being out and you know if something happens to Smart Jillian Braun is out right now all of a sudden they're thin on wings and uh, especially with Tice out too the the ability to go big is lessened so they've uh, they've got some issues here I mean we'll probably see a lot more two point guard lineups with uh, Rozier and Irving once he returns going forward Uh, what else we got here I think we should turn to a couple of season ending injuries even though their teams aren't competitive Wes Matthews has a stress fracture in his right leg. He will miss the remainder of the season. He is going to, according to Sean Stroning, he's going to rehab it. So they're, they're not, but I mean, I believe that's just the course you do with a stress fracture anyway. And then 
actually, let's just talk about him because this makes it a virtual lock if it was not before that Wes Matthews is going to pick up his player option, lucrative player option for this year, which affects the Mavs planning in numerous ways. But <laughs> there was a second where I'm like, well, he was hurt the last time he was a free agent. That didn't really affect his value too much, at least in terms of his final contract. Yeah. Well, that was back in the halcyon days of 2015 when everyone knew the cap increase was coming and he ended up getting that max deal had actually multiple max offers amazingly enough one from the kings as well but for a 30 year old matthews now never really got back to his pre-injury level of performance in dallas anyway you have to imagine that's almost certain he would opt in unless there's some sort of an arrangement with the Mavs to opt out and sign a, a longer term deal to open up more cap space but it seems less likely to me that the Mavs would be using cap space and by the way one thing that we have been doing Danny did a Danny story time on the development of KJ McDaniels and Jeremy Grant who are in similar situations when they were drafted but by the Sixers but went in different directions with their contract demands uh and then I tweeted out or I shouldn't say tweeted out but I I created a post on Patreon with my own subjective projections for what each team is going to have in cap space I also listed what the assumptions are there so that's a good just quick and dirty way to look at all right what are the teams that, that have cap space uh and that's for our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash Duncan Leroux. Great way to support our endeavors here. Uh, but back to those that tanking eight. Kent Bazemore is going to be out for the season with a right knee bone bruise, which was discovered after he had an MRI yesterday. And perhaps the league's least watchable team, uh, although Memphis is right up there as well, becomes even less watchable down the stretch here. Hopefully they'll be able to give some time to their young wings. But yeah, I mean, this this makes them worse. Bazemore cares on defense, tries on defense, and was having his best offensive year of his career, high in true shooting, high in PER, high in scoring. On the positive front, we'll go to that end, uh, and to a team that's competitive. Brandon Ingram is on his way back. I think some people are worried or frustrated that he's not going to play Tuesday against Denver or Wednesday against Golden State, but at least if he can be back for me for the end of the season, just to get a better sense of what these Lakers are at as close to full strength as they're going to be, is useful for them, even though free agency will determine so much of their eventual arc. Yeah, it has been interesting seeing what they've looked like with him out because I don't think really in terms of their overall performance that they've missed much of a beat without him. Uh, they certainly put the ball in his hands a, a ton. They don't really have a, any other pure threes on the roster and yet they've continued to be very competitive, had a, a blowout win over the Cavaliers on Sunday night. Uh, but hopefully he's able to return. We can get a little bit more of a look at him uh, going forward. Maybe they could even try playing with the four a little bit of though again since they don't have many threes uh they'd probably have to go with a three guard alignment while doing that in other news uh wilson chandler he's back now but still has continued to have nagging injuries hip soreness it was uh, against the lakers on friday he's had back injuries uh, as well this season so something to monitor there with him and then we've got all these injuries with the warriors uh, to sort out also steph curry has another sprain uh, another sprained ankle they originally called it a tweak but when you've missed this many games, I think it's fair to call it a sprain, which would be his fourth since, I think it was around Christmas. Anthony Slater has the list there. No, Iguodala, no, it was early, early December with, early uh, December. with, uh, 
Pelicans oh, yeah, where he missed the 11. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. it's all been that, that that right ankle, each one of these four springs. Correct. Iguodala is dealing with a wrist issue. It sounds like he will be back fairly soon. David West has a cyst on cyst on his elbow. They're working through that. I, don't, I haven't heard a definitive timetable on, on that. And the Warriors, you know, Steph Curry being out, of course, affects all these things. They lost in Portland and in Minnesota, which largely pushes them towards being the second seed in the West. But even having West and or Iguodala would have made a meaningful difference, at least in the Minnesota game, arguably in both. Yeah, and then Jordan Bell also out as well. So they have a, a lot of rotation players missing well, right now. Yeah, Patrick McCaw as well. So really five guys uh, who were in the rotation and, and up to superstar level out for the Warriors right now. Well, we should get to Neto, considering he and McCaw have the same yeah. injury. They both have wrist fractures. And I was surprised that the the diagnosis was so quick. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. So maybe it's not as severe as as the one because yeah. McCaw's four. So, sounds like a non-displaced fracture, mm-hmm. most likely. Uh, but reevaluated in two weeks, of course, doesn't mean returning in two weeks. And, and he's been important to the Jazz success this season. They have struggled at times. Neto, kind of like a shorter Thomas Sadoransky in some ways, where doesn't put up great stats, but plays good D, keeps things moving, hits, doesn't take very many open shots, but hits them when he does and provides solid backup point guard play by the on-off stuff. And they have not looked as good when he's been out. Dante Exum, however, who you'll recall had shoulder surgery way back at the start of the year, has not played in the regular season. Uh, he was cleared for non-contact drills back in July, or I'm sorry, in January. And now as what appears to be the final stage of his rehab has been assigned to their G League affiliate, the Salt Lake City Stars, and will get at least a practice there. I'm not sure whether he's going to play a game or not, but it sounds like they could use him back. But whether he could get into rhythm quickly uh, is tough. And he's not one of these like smart veteran dudes who can kind of just come in and play a steady game and keep you afloat. He seems like more someone who's going to need some time to get back into rhythm and really make positive plays to help you. Also on the injury front, Mario Chalmers is dealing with a hamstring issue. He has been recently reevaluated. Tyreek Evans is still missing time. And Andrew Harrison, they estimated he would be out one to two weeks, but we are at the one week mark in that one to two weeks because that was on the March 5th, I believe. A few signings of note. Uh, Troy Williams and the Knicks have agreed on a two-year deal. Partial guarantee for next year, but of course guaranteed for the remainder of the season as any contract signed after January 10th uh, must be when it's the rest of the season contract uh, outside of a 10-day. And then Shaquille Harrison finalizing a multi-year deal uh, with the Suns. Haven't gotten to see a ton of him yet, but uh, another guy is going to be in the mix for them uh, going to camp next year, you would imagine. Uh, And then the Blazers had Wade Baldwin on a two-way. You'll recall that he was drafted in 2016 by Memphis and had already been cut. Then was on a two-way with the Blazers. Uh, had had a wrist fracture throughout uh, most of this season, but he's going to be in Portland the rest of the year uh, on a minimum deal uh, as well. And with Harrison and Williams, something to keep an eye on for those who are especially more invested in those teams is when it when this comes available, when the guarantee dates are and how much is guaranteed at a given point and that creates the incentive structure for those teams in question and also it can give you a perspective idea of what where they're trying to look for evaluation are these guys more like they want to figure out in summer league what's going on are they expected to go to camp because an earlier guarantee date in certain ways is intriguing for a player because hey if you can make it through then you get that but also it can force a team's hand so i'm very interested to see with these contracts and we'll probably see a couple more of these as roster 
roster spots are open and teams are just kind of figuring out what the heck to do with their last spots to to go through that. And so how they structure these deals, there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of optionality. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Oh, we'll get to our gamers here momentarily. But first, this from Coca-Cola and Powerade. Coca-Cola is the official fan refreshment of the NCAA. Back when I was a lawyer, I would always take off the Friday and Thursday of the NCAA tournament, stay home, have some fun with my buddies. And if you're going to host people, you want to make sure your fridge isn't empty by halftime. I mean, those, you got a whole day of games going through that first weekend. So swing by Walmart before every run, stock up on Coca-Cola, Coke Zero Sugar, and Powerade. I'm partial to Powerade Zero myself. NCAA March Madness isn't just one game. It's a whole tournament. So make sure you're ready. Refresh every round by heading to Walmart to pick up Coca-Cola, Coke Zero Sugar, and Powerade. So let's talk a little Sixers and Pacers here. It was a 101-98 win by the Pacers, although they controlled it a little bit more than that. It was some foibles late for the Pacers, as we saw in their game against the Celtics, that gave Philly a chance to tie late. But overall, the Pacers maintained about a 5-7 to seven point lead throughout most of the fourth quarter. And, and indeed, it was 7-10 to 10 points for much of the game. But really, this concludes an outstanding road trip for the Pacers winning at Boston, albeit without Kyrie Irving and Al Horford. Uh, and then this win against a full-strength Sixers team uh, got to feel great for the Pacers who uh, continue to hold on to the number three seed in the East. The Pacers have a lot of tough games remaining. I believe they have 11 left against teams that are still competing for the playoffs. But if they keep winning those games, then it doesn't matter if their schedule is hard. And I think the big number from this game is shot attempts. So the Sixers attempted 75 shots in this game. The Pacers attempted 95 and also had a three free throw advantage. So it wasn't a circumstance where, oh, the the Sixers were getting to the line so much that they didn't have the field goal advantage. And a big part of that, as it often, if not always, is for the Sixers, was the massive turnover differential. Yeah, in the first half, the Sixers turned it over on 24.5% of their possessions. For the game, 21 turnovers, pretty miserable compared to getting 75 shots up, as you mentioned. And Joel Embiid, the particular culprit, this time eight turnovers. Dario Saric, who is a great passer through just some absolute head scratchers in the first half. Embiid got a little happy with some of his off-the-dribble stuff, uh, threw away some out of the post, got stripped. I mean, eight turnovers is really, really ugly for a big guy in what was otherwise an excellent game for him with 29 points on 24 shooting possessions and 12 rebounds three blocks for him also but it, the Sixers just if they can just stop turning the ball over and part of that's due to a lack of spacing that's less of an excuse now with the addition of Belnelli and Ilyasova that's really their Achilles heel because they really defend especially in the half court with Embiid you know if they're going to turn it over then they're going to give up a lot in transition the Pacers are a good transition team I had 22 fast break points to seven for the Sixers in this one that's their number one issue and it has been all season despite the fact they've been on a very nice run the Pacers were outperformed in terms of effective field goal percentage by 10%. And when you consider the advantage they had in transition, which is counted in that number, that's pretty striking. But because they just had so many more possessions and in a shot, they were able to win this game. 
the biggest thing that i was really interested in for this game was the matchup between miles turner and joel Embiid. and Embiid has had a lot of turnovers in these games against the pacers that was the case again but really more on the offensive end for the pacers where turner we talked in the 15 and 60 about how awesome he has been on pick and pop jump shots this year shooting 51.5 percent coming in on pick and pops and he did get to that a little bit but uh only two out of three uh, on pick and pop jumpers from two point range or or i, I should say mid-range shots from two point range but he was two of four uh, on threes got some of those at the expense of mb but overall just an incredibly efficient night for turner nine out of 12 and then thaddeus young also was really effective with 19 points against his old team five offensive rebounds he did most of his damage in the paint as well against the sixers team that usually dominates in there turner's ability to take shots mid-range and threes you know he can do both of those confidently it can take so many of these players out of their game these big men especially with Gobert you mentioned that in the 15 and 60 and bead tonight and also that opens up opportunities for the player who is handling the ball let's say it's a screen and roll it doesn't have to be but if it is where the big man is just thinking about that process differently and so sometimes Oladipo was getting a better seam even though that wasn't necessarily converting into a basket I thought Turner had these other spillover benefits because of his ability to shoot well and you'll recall back in the day Dirk Nowitzki had that same thing right you'd have to defend him totally differently than a normal pick and roll because he was just so deadly as a pick and pop guy and successions of Dallas guards would be able to get downhill and Turner having sped up his release this year you know it still looks kind of funky and has a high arc but he's getting it off pretty quickly now and as a center where Dirk was once a, a power forward but same thing you know most teams played conventional pick and rolls coverage with their power forwards back then most teams still play conventional pick and roll coverage with their centers uh, like Embiid and Turner can really have an effect now it's hard to argue given that Oladipo is only four out of 21 that they really opened up uh, that much although I thought Oladipo certainly missed some shots that he has been making this season um I thought that uh, getting a little bit more into the meat of the game that Trevor Booker had a nice game uh, for Philly Booker as we know was miscast on that second for for Indiana against Philly oh yeah did I say it was for Philly yeah, yeah that's, well, that's uh, where he was I, most of the season yeah yeah but but obviously I meant against Philly his former team and he clearly was motivated got out on the offensive glass or early made some good effort plays and I think you know he's a fourth big man who can be adequate if you have enough shooting around him the Sixers clearly did not and so that's why I thought he really struggled in Philly and just wasn't a good fit but he can still be adequate he's still a, a good leader a guy who plays hard and he's going to need to play a lot now because it looked like d- that injury that DeMontis Savonis had when Embiid fell on his ankle I didn't get a great look at exactly what happened to his ankle but considering he couldn't put any weight on it at all as he went to the locker room and had to be helped off uh, by a couple of bench guys you have to imagine that he could be in line to miss some significant time here going forward I saw it better the second time that I saw a couple replays and it was concerning because Embiid fell I believe he was kind of pushed there jostling for a rebound it might have been Trevor Booker I don't remember exactly who it was and Embiid it looked like the majority of his weight fell on the floor first like he hit his butt on the floor and then he kind of fell into Sabonis but that's still a lot of weight Joel Embiid is a big dude and it was and it was more to me I was worried it was actually a leg fracture that was the when I saw it the first time because it looked like his weight his weight was on the leg rather than on the ankle itself that could be something that gets cleared up with an MRI with it with an x-ray I'm not exactly sure what tests they've done so far but I had those concerns because Sabonis has been such an important piece for them not only as a second 
negative. Good, were good, negative, good. By the way, okay. on Sabonis, but he's but he is going to have uh, an MRI. Uh, left ankle sprain was was the official diagnosis for Sabonis. And so they don't, fortunately, as of right now, need him to replace Miles Turner, which I, he has done a nice job of this year. But Al Jefferson just doesn't have those same strengths. And there were a couple of plays where he bodied up Embiid, and you know that's something Al Jefferson can do. But beyond that real real area, he can struggle. And, and I also even though you know plus minus was in his favor in this game i've watched a fair portion of the season and just thought about it i think this is going to change that the sixers would really benefit from having a better backup center than amir johnson he just i i I put some of their defensive rebounding issues in this game at his feet i don't know if that's fair it was just when i noticed i mean the the pacers had a lot of that i think seven offensive rebounds in the first quarter anecdotally i thought a lot of that was during his time on the floor but he's not terrible it's just that i think they need somebody a little bit better maybe more capable as a rim protector and then a little bit more juice offensively especially if they're going to play him with McConnell who is has gifts but isn't a great shooter to to make all this work however the Sixers absolutely have the means to make that to make that possible with their few needs at this point a few other notes uh, on some of the players I thought that Glenn Robinson the third a guy who's been touted potentially as a a as a three and d player uh, he I thought struggled defensively a couple of times he got beaten uh, on a pretty easy back door off of a dho from the elbow which you know is the kind of play that most guys i think are able to take away uh he gave up a wide open three to marco bellinelli for no real reason just didn't seem to quite have the awareness just you know those are a couple of anecdotal plays but usually don't see errors like that from guys that you think of as good defenders so that's gonna be something to watch is whether he can really be the d part of that three and d which is a little bit harder to evaluate at times um i thought that dario sarge for the sixers just what he's been able to do improving himself as a three-point shooter in his first year and three quarters in the league it has been really impressive to the point where they're actually like bringing him off of screens they have like a, a little set where when he's trailing it in transition he'll get a screen from the five man to the top of the key buried a three off of that so that's something that it, his shooting has really been crucial to what they're trying to do uh despite the fact that he had those turnovers today um any other just players who uh, that you had some observations on in this before we talk a little bit more about what the flow of the game was yeah i i think we talked about what miles turner did offensively that took advantage of some of joel Embiid's issues but joel Embiid also did a nice job of using his strength to keep miles turner off balance and that duality is what part of what makes turner so fascinating and hard for me personally to evaluate as a player is that his strengths are, are fascinating and i think they can keep guys off but you know the defensive rebounding in many games it wasn't as much of an issue today that's going to be an issue the ability to just get straight beasted by the best of the best those issues are not as omnipresent in the regular season but i think they're going to be pushed in the playoffs especially if the pacers end up facing a team with a capable big and there are a lot of teams just so happens this year in the eastern conference that have players that i think can give him some trouble another observation we noted in the 50 and 60 i need to correct a little bit i had just looked at their last few games but overall since bellinelli signed they've actually played he and reddick together for over 100 minutes and the numbers on that have not looked good a couple of the Sixers big runs or the Pacers big runs came during the period that both those guys were on the floor towards the end of the first the end of the third even though it was only a couple of minutes it didn't look great and I thought the key portion of the game was the Sixers had finally come back to tie it at 71 and then Thad Young went on a personal 7-0 run with three just really tough layups the last of which was a beautiful and one reverse of course he shot every single one of them with his left hand but he's athletic enough that he was able to still put 
those in anyway, even though everyone knows where guys. I switched back and forth between both feeds, but uh, on the Sixers feed, they, of course, because they're very familiar with Thad Young's game going back to uh, 2014, and he played basically seven years there, I think, maybe even eight, oh, seven, I think he was drafted. Uh, but they're like, oh, he's going left every time. He's going left every time. I was like, yeah, you, we, <laughs> you know, it, it was one of those things when you're just f- familiar with a guy and you're, you, you know, they never said that when he was in the Sixers uniform. And then, of course, they're, they're going to say it as soon as he's going because they n- noticed it every time. Uh, but he, he was fantastic, I, I thought. And that personal 7 0 run, as the Sixers just missed a lot of open threes, Bellinelli in particular during that period just couldn't hit a shot that he was getting some open ones. That I thought was the decisive portion of the game. I wanted to ask you how you were feeling about Ben Simmons in this game. Four of 10 from the field, did create decent looks for his teammates, ended up with 10 assists and only two turnovers in a game when the Sixers had 21 of them. But there were times where it looked to me like he couldn't exactly get to the exact spot that he wanted to get to. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, He did have a triple-double, 10 assists, 13 rebounds, and only 10 points, 10 shot attempts. But he was being guarded by Boyan Bogdanovich basically the whole game, and he really was not able to create great looks against him. He, He would drive, wouldn't really get the separation on him, would kind of stop, pivot back to that right-handed hook shot he'll do that a lot drive hard left and then pivot back to a a right-hand hook and that's not really a great shot for him we talked about how he leads the nba with the most shots this season from floater range and he's shooting a, a below average slightly below average 39 percent on those shots and though today was a, a good example of that these are difficult contested looks it's not the hey i just came off the pick and roll the defender is behind me the big is laying back i got plenty of room to throw up this floater that's a, a tough contested look and the fact that he wasn't able to take advantage of someone like boyan who i think has been much better defensively this year but still is pretty limited physically it's a, you would hope that he could create a few more shots in that type of match and also interesting that you know they only play him 30 minutes a game and i and i'm not sure why that is why he wouldn't have played more in this one but uh, when you're playing bellinelli 26 minutes uh, he was negative eight mcconnell played 21 minutes he was negative 14 you might like to see them play simmons a, a little bit more even though he wasn't incredibly effective in this one uh but i mean this is a you mentioned that this the sixers lost this one because they didn't get as many shots. I mean, the Pacers were five out of 24 on three-pointers and still managed to win this game. And I thought this could have been even more uh, in the Pacers' favor if they had just hit some shots. Like Boyan was 0 for 5 on some pretty good looks from downtown. Oladipo struggled as well. Turner was the only guy who really was able to hit anything from beyond, as uh, Mark Zumoff would say. There were also two charges that really bothered me in this game. Yes. Right back-to-back charges. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I think for me, just in terms of why the rule bothers me so much, the one that was more frustrating, I'll let you talk about the Ilyasova one, was Corey Joseph in transition. Joel Embiid is driving. And yeah, there are plenty of dangers there of Joel Embiid driving the four in transition. Corey Joseph wasn't even guarding him. He just slid over and went into his way. And I was watching on the Sixers feed and their announcers were praising his guts, which certainly, I mean, you know, you're going to take a hit. But that's the whole problem with the charge rule as it exists. A guy who is not defending the player put himself in harm's way and put 
put, in this case, Joel Embiid in harm's way, and it was the right decision. It was the team-centric decision. He got the call. They they got the ball back without any scoring opportunity for the Pacers, and that's not what you want the rule to be. You don't want players to jump in front of other players who are going full steam because it's dangerous and it doesn't reward the right things. Yeah, and then the Ilyasova one was a, a candidate for worst charge of the year where Miles Turner came down the lane, basically jumped completely sideways, used it about a 60-degree angle going away from Ilyasova. Ilyasova falls down, very minimal contact, and Bill Spooner, uh, or I'm sorry, Benny Adams, who was like way back... Uh, as the outside officials no idea how he decided he was able to see it makes the call after you know maybe two seconds after the shot had occurred uh really just a weird call maybe he was waiting because it wasn't his call and thought he saw something he was going to let someone else call and then they didn't so he felt like he had to call it but it was just a completely insane call i i, I can't stand it and uh dave kaplan who is a uh patreon subscriber tweeted me how you know he thinks with Ilya sofa the sixers are less watchful and, and i agree to some extent because he's such a flopper but also he provides so much more spacing for their second unit which used to just have nothing at all where i don't know if i agree with them there but it, it, it sova can be a, a tough watch for that reason a couple of notes on the end of the game indiana last five minutes all year it's been victor oladipo get the matchup try to go at him in pick and roll and i thought they did there he was being guarded by covington which is a big part of why he had a tough night covington is a very good defender i think even against some smaller guys he, he's got that great length advantage uh, so what they did is they would first set a screen to get Redick onto Oladipo, and then they would set the pick and roll. And they had some varying results with that, but I liked the strategy of uh, getting the inferior defender on first and then going into your pick and roll instead of just maybe ISOing off of those. And, and the Sixers had, a, as you like to say, some low resistance switches there. It didn't really come back to hurt him that much, although Oladipo did hit a huge three at one point that seemed to put the game away. And then Oladipo uh, late. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to make a small point. Somebody asked me about because i was talking about the 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 raptors rockets game and they were saying well what what did what was your issue with that and my issue was that they had too many guys that they could low resistance switch onto james harden that harden torch and it was a sort of a similar thing here except that they need to have reddick on the floor so you need to know when you need to fight through a switch and when you just have to have to kind of take it but especially if it's early in the clock and you can recover do your damnedest if you can to get there yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's not like Oladipo was killing them, but I thought it was a good strategy, at least from Indiana. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oladipo, Oladipo, however, for the second game in a row, Indiana had the game salted away, had the ball with a three-point lead, or I think it might have been a two-point lead in Boston, but had the ball with a one-possession lead late. All they have to do is get fouled, and Oladipo committed an offensive foul in the last 10 seconds when all they had to do is get the ball in bounds for the second game in a row, ends up that... Philly, and this is after Redick missed a, a late three, although they were down eight with like a minute left, and Redick hit one three, and then Embiid got a dunk, and so they got within three, and then there was a turnover, and Redick missed what would have been a three, actually a foot on the line. Uh, tough shot, but I'm sure everyone in Philly is like, oh man, JJ Redick missed another one, just like the Miami game. Well, hey, guess what? He hit a, another really tough three, just to even get you into position to maybe tie the game, and like even JJ Redick is only going to hit, you know, at best 50% of his open threes so you know but it it was i'm sure disappointing for reddick he was upset with himself on that and then at the end the pacers finally
finally secured things after that old depot turnover when a jump ball was was called and old depot actually beat the 610 dario sharich uh, to a jump ball and ended up uh, having the time run out after that so it was a pretty impressive play by the 6-4 oladipo it uh, was to make up for his offensive foul and while there have been two games recently where bogdanovich nearly uh, one game where he did trick away but then a second one with with late game turnovers this was the second game i think in about a week where boyan bogdanovich made a really nice play off a jump ball and in this one he threw it off ben simmons so that they could secure control of it and i think the other one i'm trying to remember if it was in the bucks game or in the celtics game i'm for whatever reason i'm remembering green uniforms that he just he went right through uh who did he go right through Eric Bledsoe that's right that's right yeah so so this has been a great stretch I mean you mentioned that that three wins in a row now for the Pacers over fellow teams in the East playoff bracket including Philly and Milwaukee whom they're fighting for position against and these are close wins you know you can't win every close game but they have been and they've got these wins banked now and uh, this really uh as a game that they surely were not expected to win by the projection systems and uh, came away with one so they're looking better for getting the, a seat in the top half of the bracket now you want to talk uh, nuggets lakers yeah this game was it was incredibly entertaining i mean the, for those who are invested in this matchup there is that kind of history with the lakers fans now hating jamal murray and luke walton and various lakers players talking about it after the game there was a more raucous atmosphere at staples than you would expect for a game like this and that only started out strong when the lakers were pretty magnificent at the beginning of this game Randall and Lopez were both just having their way with a, you know, you would think a stout front line for the for the Nuggets, especially, you know, Randall do, did some of his work on Paul Millsap. Millsap has been throughout his recent career, especially has been a very stout defender. He had some real struggles in this game later on as well. And then it turned almost as quickly as it turned the first time. Denver had a big run to start the second quarter and then pretty much continued that through through the second, including a lot of points from Wilson Chandler, though wasn't just him hitting a bunch of threes he had layups and dunks in there some in transition he had one where he backed down kcp so you get into halftime and even though they had that 35 22 denver or sorry denver ha- was down 13 at the end of the first quarter they were only down one at halftime yeah chandler had one of his better games we expressed some concern when we recorded the injury news earlier but he sure looked good uh, coming off a missing time with that hip injury 26 points 11 out of 16 actually played 41 minutes in this one also had 10 rebounds and i thought he was it was telling that he uh, a nominal small forward going against kyle kuzma a nominal power forward was actually able to just go right through him a couple of times in the post although kuzma certainly got his revenge uh, on the other end uh but chandler was really good that curiously though led to paul Millsap only playing 26 minutes in part because Millsap gave up a couple of threes in the fourth quarter to kyle kuzma where he wasn't able to get out of him the second time he got screened the first time he just kind of didn't close out on him enough there wasn't a screen at all there wasn't really anything he was supposed to be helping on uh but only 26 minutes for him and it's not like he was in foul trouble he only had two fouls and even more interestingly you know i know chandler had it working but the combination of Millsap and Jokic to only have 13 shot attempts and Jokic, due to foul trouble uh had three fouls in the first half zero fouls of course in the second half uh, but uh, only ended up playing 27 minutes in this one uh Millsap in particular though i mean he just wasn't even getting the touches like i didn't remember him getting a single touch inside the arc at any point 
point in like maybe the first six minutes of the third quarter when I was tracking it and he really you know he, he's not I don't think they should be running everything through him for like iso posos but at least you know let, let the guy be involved in some pick and rolls let him be involved in uh, some DHO action or operate from the elbows and we just didn't see that at all from him that, that was a, a surprise for me and I realized that Chandler had it working but only 26 minutes for Millsap when you've got Plumley playing 21 minutes and Trey Lyles playing 60 I mean that just doesn't make it any sense to me at all and you know Lyles was negative 12 Plumley was negative 12 I think really playing Millsap more at the bench unit maybe where his offense could be more useful uh is something they should explore uh rather than just only playing him with the starters the way they have been in that third quarter the Nuggets especially early on were continuing the run that they had in the second quarter and I think it was 12-6 maybe even 14-6 at one point and all six of those points were Kyle Kuzma Kuzma was huge in terms of keeping them in the game he ended up at one point I was like god he has like three quarters of their points he played the entire third had 16 of their points in the third quarter 16 of 29 so more than half and then it looked like to me the game was going to turn because he tweaked his ankle on I believe it was the last play of the third quarter and so you're saying going on you know he's basically been their offense in the third quarter and he was going to have a scheduled rest played the entire third but Kuzma ended up being a huge part in the way this game resolved yeah that sprain he tried to take off actually I don't think he even took off that foot he was trying to load up to then take another step with his left and take off on that foot and he kind of inverted his ankle it was a weird looking sprain and went and got taped but clearly was limping when he came back in and yeah you know it was a gutty performance and all but like the guy's a rookie these games are completely meaningless for the Lakers right now I know the the crowd was wound up and they're glad about their culture and people are excited about the Lakers again in comparison to the way that they've just absolutely fallen apart for most of the last two seasons they did win those five straight at the end of last year um why would you bring him back in and similarly why are you going to play Lonzo Ball who recently missed a bunch of time with a sprained MCL 41 minutes I mean it seems like I know they have a lot of injuries but like these games don't mean anything I I don't think they need to be pushing this hard and my expectation would be that Kuzma will miss a little bit of time here you know this is going to be one of those ones you could see swelling up on him very easily um so I just don't think that was worth the risk this is a nice win the fans were excited I get all that but it's just you're not seeing the bigger picture here if you're bringing out a guy like Kuzma who clearly was limping during the entire fourth quarter I mean it doesn't take a genius to see that like he was having some issues even if he was able to hit some shots I don't know which broadcast you were watching but the Lakers broadcasters kept on talking I think they were framing it in terms of and and this is fair if you're an announcer in terms of it being such a gutty performance and that you could see that he wasn't right I'm just sitting there going yes that is it is you know physically impressive for for Kuzma to do that but that's also saying something about the the medical staff or the coaches whoever's making that decision in terms of keeping him in there because you're playing a long game here and Kuzma as I've already heard that he's questionable for they play Wednesday against the Warriors in Oakland I sincerely doubt he is going to play in that game I probably wouldn't even play him even if he were okay just because you don't want to risk it at all he's an important part of what they're doing and with Lonzo while they are shallow at many positions point guard is one place where they actually have personnel they played Lonzo and Isaiah Thomas together for the entire fourth quarter they actually played I believe the two of them with Alex Caruso at one point so yes they would have been worse for wear without Lonzo Ball on the court but 41 minutes is just too much yeah that's right and Lonzo will talk about his game in a second I mean I don't want to diminish what Kuzma did in this game because this is kind of a throwback for him other than the fact that he just never gets to the foul and he only took one free throw attempt on his 20 field goals uh but he hit the three-pointer and then he's been outstanding 
outstanding from floater range and it just his footwork he's got some of the better euro steps in the nba in transition where the lakers continue to really be outstanding this season to push it down teams throats because they're not an amazing half court offensive team they've been a lot better lately and kuzma just with some of those euro steps i mean his footwork rarely will you see usually a right-handed player will euro step with the right foot then push back over to the left changing direction but when you're taking off on your left foot usually you're gonna have to shoot it with your right and that could be a little problematic if you've got a shot blocker there but he actually finished an and one you're a right-handed guy euro stepping to his left jumping off his left foot and then finishing with the left hand i mean that's really takes a lot of core strength it takes a lot of footwork and practice to make a play like that that just shows you the skill level he has uh his floater game is good it continues to be aggressive with the three-pointer and he can look really good when he's hitting that as he was with 511 he did have 13 defensive rebounds in this one as well though interestingly it ended up negative nine he still has the worst net rating of any player that's in their rotation right now there were also a lot of bright spots for julius Randle in this game i've used the word undeniability at various moments to describe various players and there were certainly times in this game where he was undeniable he's so damn strong and dude, dude like if i were he might be the guy that just physically if i had to guard someone i would just be i would least want want to guard like you're chest has got to just be like contused after you play against this guy i mean he legally because he's quick enough to actually get the advantage and then he's strong enough to widen that advantage and he's just he's an absolute bull down there and he's causing a lot of problems and then you know a lot of those guys like oh he's a strength guy he's a little you know he's not like center size oh just put a center on him but he's too fast for those guys i still worry about his defensive role in like let's say you want him in a closing lineup on a very good team but there's so much to like i've I've, i keep every once in a while i flash to how high i was on him as a high school player i saw him play a couple times there's like who the hell is gonna stop this guy it was one of those players and those yeah. generally work That's out back when he thought he might actually be able to hit a jumper right and and so you're like oh well if he pieces this together i mean there people could go back on real jam i wrote a piece about how i thought he was there's a good chance he was going to be on the 2016 olympic team back in like 2011 or something like that it was one of those like deep out picks but in 2013 i've been right after the olympics and that physical capability is certainly there i wish his jump shot had come around and i i I still would love to see more rim protection from him. But what Randall does well is valuable and the Lakers are using it well. And I, I was intrigued that he was doing, he was succeeding on Millsap in the first quarter at power forward next to Brooke Lopez. And then the fourth quarter, he also had 11 points, same same scoring, playing against Jokic at center. Yeah, and he also really abused Pulmy, just blew past him oh. and, and dunked it all over him and Trey Lyles at the same time. Uh, Plumley, you know, not an immobile center, but you know probably an average mobility for a center I mean, he had no chance of staying in front of him even with the fact that you can kind of lay off of him and it used to be you could kind of lay off of him and wait for him at the rim but now he's explosive enough and strong enough that if you let him get there he'll just go right through even if you do have a little bit of a size advantage on it so and i think defensively i'm not as worried as you are because i think that against most teams he can play center and you know yeah his rim protection could be an issue but if they have enough size that they can 
switch stuff. I mean, I think he can be successful in the same way that Tristan Thompson, also not really a rim protector. I would say, if anything, Randall has quicker feet than Thompson. He doesn't have the 7-4 wingspan that Thompson has to challenge shots. I mean, that's where I think, you know, against some of the best guys, he's not going to be able to challenge the jump shot as well on a switch. But I think he's totally adequate as a switch defender. And he causes probably more problems for most teams on the offense end than he causes for the Lakers defensively if he's playing at center. So I, I agree with you. It's a tough fit with him. But with how good he's starting to become offensively, and he had the seven offensive rebounds today too, uh, I think that, you know, the, becoming more and more convinced that there is a place for him. And, and this is the first time we've seen him play winning basketball. You know, he's plus 13 again tonight, uh, 39 minutes as a starter. You know, he used to be one of the worst plus minus guys in the league. And he really, I think is, you have to give a lot of credit to Luke Walton and also the players themselves for just the way that they've been able to get these young guys to not fuck up in the way that young guys usually fuck up. Something I wanted to bring up, and it it does relate to Randall because the play I'm thinking of involved Randall, was... Lonzo Ball, I think was in the second quarter. He was driving the lane and the Nuggets treated him as a passer the entire time. And he tried to dump off to Randall, but the Nuggets were standing right there. And Ball has been pretty awful this year, finishing at the rim. And he's going to have to be better at it, both because defenders can play him differently. And because we've seen this from various different point guards over the years, it's just, you have to make defenses respect you. And it doesn't mean he has to do the Damian Lillard jump where he becomes just so much better there, but you have to get to a threshold to maximize your ability even if it's just to distribute because of the attention that you're getting yeah and tonight was a great idea of why Lonzo we think can be a positive player can be a good player for a long time and yet why it's going to be so hard for him I think to reach really you know superstar number two pick in the draft type of expectations just because of the the lack of scoring I mean I think defensively people might be overrating him a little bit one-on-one this time just as an ISO guy he's protected a lot by how much they switch you know because he's not great getting over screens but I think he's playing with greater intensity now he's fast in a straight line so if he's going to help or double team he can get there really quickly like he had a a great steal on I think it was Jokic when Jokic turned his back to him trying to go one-on-one had a mismatch and and ball appeared out of nowhere and almost got the steal his ball pressure was excellent like the Nuggets had a couple of like pretty juicy looking opportunities on post entries that ball took away just by pressuring the ball and they just couldn't get get the passing angle to get it in because he was pressuring up so much uh so that was really uh, impressive you know he'll make plays at the rim he had a nice block uh on on one of the nuggets guards as he tried to go baseline in transition so i I mean uh, all that looks really good the passing the driving kick is good the hit aheads are good maybe maybe not will he get to be i mean i think he'll be an adequate three-point shooter will he be a good three-point shooter i'm not sure uh but then you know it's that scoring and, and you mentioned the finishing at the room and he just ganked a layup where he was one of the few times he was able to get there you know he was being guarded by like will barton or someone and or, or murray and just you know not not anybody who's going to protect the room he just missed the layup on him the, the one um, that hit the underside of the basket that's or was bad. that a different one yeah that was no that, that wasn't great that one was in the first half right the, the, oh uh, very well might have been yeah yeah but 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 and then you know there was a time late clock where he was in pick and roll and he just had to shoot this incredibly ugly almost like two-handed floater 
at the rim just was not able to create a, a great shot and so you know if you really want to look at all-star level of players how many of them really are scoring less than 15 points a game you know and it's hard maybe with just the shooting he can get there and you'd say you know it's basically you're looking at like jason kidd or draymond green and kidd you know still is a much better scorer and finisher than lonzo lonzo projects to be a little better shooter kid i don't think that lonzo is going to quite get to where kid was defensively kid was one of the greatest defensive guards of all time more strength than lonzo um and so you know and draymond green is one of the best defensive players probably that we've ever seen you know, at the power forward position he can switch across all five positions and guards just generally don't have that type of effect so i think he could be an effective player he's already helping the team i think even with the the shooting struggles even being two for 11 tonight uh you know the plus minus stuff really likes him a lot just not sure how he gets to that absolute superstar level and i think he's just always going to be a polarizing player in part for that reason in part because he had these massive expectations that you know i'm just not sure he can ever reach even though i think will he's probably a guy that nationally will be higher on than than most people are and then compared to what lakers fans think of him will always be lower than what they think of him there's also this really challenging question that i've had to deal with with the lakers a lot and lonzo is a point in this brandon ingram i've brought this up this is actually something i talked about with matt moore a little bit on real jam radio a little bit ago which is what is your threshold for these guys is it making the playoffs is it being in a conference finals because the strengths and weaknesses that you need and that are tolerable and survivable are very different in those sorts of circumstances we've seen this with varying players over time and that i think in certain ways why i am more negative on some of the lakers guys than many is because i think of them in that framework because it's like okay if these guys are in a series with a team not necessarily the warriors the rockets that might not be fair but against the celtics against the raptors that level of team where it's you know a reasonable conference finals team there are things that are going to be exploited at this point and the answer can be they're going to get better i fully expect them to there is a line there and i think maybe that's unfair to to hold them to those expectations but the ability that they have to get star players and thinking about where they can go and if you're going to talk about best core young cores in the league like we did a couple of weeks ago we're not just saying regular season we're not talking about beating denver at home as as good of a win as this is for them and it certainly is i'm i'm yeah. thinking and about a, a different loss denver, oh it's a I crushing mean, this, loss for denver. this is if you if you want to win if you want to make the playoffs like this is and, and these laker teams have been playing well like they're no pushovers but this is the kind of game you have to win and and they uh, of course did not um yeah but but you know i i agree with you you know that i don't see the absolute top end talent in this group even if they are playing well together um i thought kcp had another really nice game 10 points on three out of six you know a little bit more judicious with the shot selection than usual his defense on jamal murray in the last few minutes was great he had a, a play where he really denied him out of a dho and then off of a switch when randall was on him he helped one pass away and just took it away from him and led to the dunk that basically clinched it for denver uh still continue to give him he and ball as a backcourt defensive combination are pretty good and they have enough size to do some switching as well uh it was interesting isaiah had you know i don't know if you want to call it a great game he was seven out of 19 but he's getting to the foul line enough and hitting enough threes as the lakers to still you know be efficient enough uh finished with 23 points a little bit below league average in terms of his true shooting at had three turnovers but he was really eating and pick and roll against Jokic late uh had had a couple of times where he was just absolutely uh, abusing them in the mid-range and, and Thomas at this point really wants to pull up for the jumper and Jokic a guy who's 
generally going to lay back and pick and roll defense so after a couple of those plays Mike Malone calls timeout and they switch up they decide they're going to bring Jokic out on the floor and force Thomas to make passes to beat them and and that failed they first play the Thomas throws a really nice pass to Julius Randall and he gets fouled as uh they tried to bring help over from the weak side but Randall was just too big and then the next play they messed up the the communication uh as they tried to trap Thomas gives it up gets it right back and Jokic is the one who stays with him rather than his initial man and Thomas just embarrassed Jokic with a crossover and then the Nuggets I mean that's just just not good enough defense when you've got Jokic guarding Thomas this isn't some unbelievable shooting Lakers team and there's just no one even in the picture to come and help him as he crosses him over and and blows by uh you know Malone did make the decision to take out Millsap after he gave up those two threes to Kuzma you know again this is a guy who signed for 30 million dollars I don't think he should be in this hey let's just take the and he's coming back from a wrist injury he might be a little out of rhythm but you know he should be in shape and this isn't some guy that's like oh you make a couple of mistakes and we take you out type of guy it's hey paul like you got to guard this dude now go out there and fucking do it and they put in will barton and big surprise you know they couldn't stop the lakers down the stretch maybe they wouldn't have been able to do it with Millsap in there anyway but i mean you're just you're not going to be the team that you need to be unless paul Millsap is really contributing and you know kind of yanking him around in the minutes and and not giving him the ball at all and treating him as as your sixth best player you're just not going to get there if you're the Nuggets the Nuggets are now six games over 500 538 projects that they will go exactly 500 the rest of the season and they have a 32 percent chance of making the playoffs that some would say that's you know it's unfair they're playing in a loaded west but that's those are the cards they're dealt and losses like this one and and, and guess what like the east eighth seed is going to get 44 wins right now too right you know and so they lost this game the Dallas loss a week and a half ago is huge and then they they blew a lead against the Clippers as well that the Boban game and considering you know you look at all these teams that are going on runs the threshold for making the playoffs much less getting a high seed is really high and they they had themselves in position to at least make it something and now they've lost three out of their last five and they certainly can make it in but they're going to need to play better than they have recently and they don't have much time to make that step they have two games Detroit and Memphis and then the schedule gets really tough again and so Denver's going to have to start beating some good teams yeah the West standings right now the Jazz are actually tied for being in the playoffs with the Spurs I forget who has the tiebreaker in that one at 38 and 30 ESPN has them listed as the eighth seed so maybe they have the tiebreaker I haven't checked that recently but with the Spurs playing so poorly lately the Jazz an incredibly easy schedule down the stretch and they have now won 19 out of 21 games after just throttling the Pistons at home just led by 30 the whole second half in that one was the Pistons seem to have been getting pretty close to checking out you know the Clippers aren't playing incredibly well they did get a win against the bulls spurs are out of the playoffs right now nuggets are are out of the playoffs nuggets are a game behind the spurs jazz and clippers at the moment but probably have the hardest schedule of any of those teams going forward and they're just you know they don't seem like a team that's on the cusp of making the playoffs the team that's playing well right now it just seems like unlike some of these teams you can't just look at any game that they have as oh well this is an automatic win you know they're still capable it seems 
seems like of losing on any given night because their defense is is so bad and, and their offense while it's pretty good can be uh, inconsistent at times and I think you know part of that is a guy like Jokic has a lot of inconsistency right in terms of his own personal scoring in particular you know the, the Nuggets don't quite they run a varied offense but they're really it seems and part of this I think is the coaching too you know it's very ad hoc it's going from guy to guy oh Wilson Chandler's hot now we're gonna feed Wilson Chandler Paul Millsap's not getting any touches or you know Jokic only gets eight shots tonight and some days Jamal Murray goes off some days it's it's Will Barton but Will Barton was three out of 14 tonight and so it's really seems like they're that's part maybe of why they seem so inconsistent I mean I'm not sure that that's even supported by numbers uh but and for those I mean we saw what Carl Towns did tonight he just completely destroyed the Wizards after completely destroying the Warriors on Sunday and you know there's some people who quibbled with us saying that Towns was the best offensive center in basketball and that Jokic was I mean if you just watch Jokic in this game compared to what Towns did I mean there's just there's no comparison like I know Jokic is a good passer but like when you have a guy like Carl Towns who can just score one-on-one every time you throw it to him and be incredibly efficient as a a shooter as well uh, and can score probably in more ways than any big man in NBA history efficiently you know I'm sorry like you know Carl Towns is a better offensive player than Nicole Jokic a single play was a good example of that at the very end of the Wizards Wolves game tonight Towns is standing in the corner first of all ridiculous that he could do that and get respected I believe it was Jan Mahinmi flies out to to guard him in the corner the the Wolves were up two at this point Towns pump fakes draws the flyby and then just takes a beat and drills the three to put Minnesota up five I wrote game over and actually Wolves fans got on my case because they're like oh my god it's 30 seconds left and we're at five this game is not over and ended up not being over but they still won but that play and he could have done the drive there you know if, if that had been the better option is just insane to have that kind of skill level and that's only a small piece of what he can do yeah but just so you know tonight towns 37 points 13 of 17 from the field just an absolute massacre also interestingly i didn't see his minutes but you remember derrick rose was negative 17 in seven minutes because uh in large part because he was being so incredibly over aggressive and they didn't play him at all in the second half he did play 11 minutes in this one jeff teague only 29 minutes uh, for some reason uh but rose was 0 for 2 from the field and was plus one basically didn't do anything other than you know take a couple of shots no assists but at least he wasn't so aggressive and and just turning it over and taking horrible shots so that's slight progress at least for for the wolves yeah i was gonna i I think for me anecdotally i would that was my secondary game during the early stretch the reason teague played so little was because tyus jones did a nice job when he was out there and they don't really love playing those guys together unless they have to so i think that was a part of it too and but but you can play derrick rose and and (laughs) jones or Uh, it doesn't really make much sense uh Uh, but yeah uh anything you want to talk about here before we go yeah i'll plug a couple things i don't know exactly when it's gonna be published but my piece on a part of the cba encyclopedia for real gm on the Stepien rule, which is not only explaining the rule itself, but also the story behind it is going to come out on Real GM. I can't, I can't wait to read this, by the way, because I, I don't think I've ever seen the full accounting of all the transactions that the Cavs did in the early 80s that like required this rule to be made. Yeah, I did the shorthand version of it for this. I've thought at other moments about doing the full like 1,000, 1,500 word version. This is more like the 400, but I think it encapsulates it well. And also there are some things that are, from what I, from the research I did, unfairly attributed to Stepien that were actually 
it slightly before him, but it is still striking in terms of the timeline. And I lay it out in terms of the trades. Then the other things, I have a NCAA tournament prospect preview because Real Jam Radio is NBA focused with Sam Vecini that is going to come out on Wednesday at some point. And then also my mascot bracket, the one which I do with my sister, who's a biologist who knows nothing about basketball, actively doesn't want to. And it's just, I tell her the mascots and she imagines if they got into a fight. We do that. It's total nonsense, but it's the, one of the most fun things I do all year. Both of those should be out in the next 24 hours. All right. Thanks so much uh, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. You'll want to listen tomorrow. Top 10 players in the NBA, the natural conclusion to us ranking all, all of the uh, players at all the positions. This is uh, this is going to be fun. I haven't done my rankings yet. I'm very interested to see once I really think about it and, and, and do the research where we end up. So that, that's always one of my favorite podcasts of the year to do. Uh, certainly one that uh, gets a little bit of discussion. I'm sure it'll uh, be no different this year. Talk to you all then. So if you're into sports, NCAA March Madness is one of the best events out there. And you better make sure your fridge isn't empty by the half. I mean, there's four games that you got to watch daily. You could be in front of the TV for over 12 hours. Probably should swing by Walmart, stock up on Coca-Cola, Coke Zero Sugar, and Powerade. I'm a big Powerade Zero fan, personally. March Madness isn't just one game. It's a whole tournament. You better make sure that you're ready. Refresh every round by heading to Walmart to pick up Coca-Cola, Coke Zero Sugar, and Powerade. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.